0: would mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We are continuing and actually finishing up this series this week and next week will be done of Psalm 51 as we walk through this great psalm that we see this is David's great heart of getting right with God. That David was in the midst of sin And the sin had been going on for nine months before the preacher came and stuck his bony finger in his face and said, Thou art the man. And David, being a great repenter, got right with God. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer to God of him getting right with him. And so if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 51 Psalm 51, and we're going to read the entire Psalm. Then what we're going to do is go and put a highlight on some specific verses that we're hit today. Psalm 51, and notice with me in verse number 1. Psalm 51 in verse 1, the Bible says this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it, thou delightest not in burnt offerings the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, and burnt offering, and whole burnt offering. Then shalt thou offer bullocks upon thine altar. And with this, if you don't mind, notice what David says in his prayer in verse number 17 where it speaks about a broken and contrite heart. In verse number 17, a broken and contrite heart. And with the Lord's help, we're going to put an emphasis here as David is finishing up this prayer and he is explaining the things that God is looking for and the things that God is not looking for. What he is looking for is a broken and contrite heart. Now, as we're going through this um, account here, we recognize the position that David is in. What is David's official title? What is he? He is king. He is king. So imagine with me, if you don't mind, the, the emphasis of him being king. What would happen? It would be just as example as you turn on the television and you hear a special news report that you hear... That Mr. President has been caught in an adulterous relationship. That sounds not too far-fetched, right? The conspiracy, the scandal that goes along with it. And then you hear on the news a little bit later, not only has the President been uh, caught in this scandal that he has committed adultery, but there was also a great cover-up. Well, that doesn't sound like it's too far-fetched. That there's a cover-up going on. And then you hear as more news comes out that one of the witnesses has been murdered. Well, that doesn't sound like it'd be too far-fetched, huh? That's exactly what happened in David's time. That David was the king. And he had one night in sin with Bathsheba. Bathsheba sent him a message and said... Guess what we're going to be having? And David went into panic mode. He tried to cover it up. He tried to arrange different things to cover up. And when that would not work, he killed Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. After that, he married Bathsheba and tried to pretend that everything was correct. He resumed his office of king during that time. And for nine months... He was not right with God. For nine months, David was not right. But for nine months, he tried to play the part. For nine months, he carried on as if everything was all right. He tried different things at this time. On the surface, it looked like he was good. On the surface, it looked like everything was fine. But yet, he was so far removed from God in the inside he was dry it was empty it was void it was dead we could see that David is a man that was not right And so, if you don't mind, let's go through Psalm 51 and let's examine here as he's speaking about God and seeing what God accepts and what God does not accept. The very first thing I want to bring to your attention here is that the burnt offering is rejected. The burnt offering rejected. Notice if you don't mind, in verse number 16, for thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I would give it, thou delightest not in burnt offering." Now (laughs) what he's speaking about is that in the Hebrew religious life that there would be quite often where they would um, (laughs) have religious ceremonies. There would be certain times of the year where you would have to bring these sacrifices to the tabernacle or to the temple later on. And you would do a sacrifice of a lamb, do a sacrifice of a bull, do a sacrifice of turtle doves, depending on what you could afford. But they would do a big ceremony with it. There would be a time where they would do the scapegoat. And so what they would do is they would lay their hands on a goat and they would transform, uh, transmit all their sins pictorially on their their goats. So they'd pretty much say, I'm a sinner and here's all my sins. And they put it in the goat. And then what they did is they sent the goat far out into the wilderness. So that way that goat would never be seen again, which was a picture that when we get saved, our sins are cast far from us. Praise the Lord for the picture. But someone can easily go through and say, yeah, 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 hands on here, go away. There are some people that that they had a time of year where they would take uh, I'm a bull and to show how awful our sins are they would kill that bull and there was a part of a ceremony and that bull had they had to make sure that we, it was without blemish on the outside as well as the in. they would kill the bull they would spill its blood and then they would burn it and it was a picture of that for the wages of sin is death that because of my sin something had to shed its blood and had to die and it was a horrible time But couldn't someone go through a religious ceremony and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? Hurry up and go, yeah. Couldn't someone do that? You see, the problem with religious ceremonies is that they could get to the place where they're just on the outside. They're just in the show. Could someone show up in a church like this and the preacher say, take your hymn book and open with me. And they take the hymn book and say some words and thinking about uh, roast beef and mashed potatoes a little bit later? Couldn't they get to the place where the offering plate comes by, and they go, well, it's just, you know, and they throw some money in and not even care about what they're doing? Could someone get to the place where the preacher's preaching, and they're thinking about what the movie they were watching, or heaven forbid, they're thinking about, can the Packers beat whoever they're supposed to beat today? And they're Can't someone go through religious motions? and it not affect right here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as David is writing through here, he is putting the emphasis here that God doesn't care about the religious ceremonies. You could give a million dollars to the church and it not affect your relationship with God. You could attend mass Every day of the week and not get any closer with God. <coughs> what we're saying here is that people could get in a routine of religious activity, but it not affect their heart. God is not relig- as concerned of our activity as he is our relationship with Him. And so again. David is putting emphasis here in Psalm 51. For thou desirest not, he's talking to God, thou desirest not sacrifice or else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. It's amazing what people will do in order to quote unquote get right with God. For example, one of the greatest religious figures in history would be Martin Luther. Martin Luther was someone who begged to get right with God. He went through so many things to get right with God. Martin Luther at one time had taken a vow that he wasn't going to eat. He really wanted to get a hold of God. And so he stopped eating. He thought he would fast for large periods. And there were times that the other monks had to force feed him food because he was withering away. And he didn't get any closer with God according to his own writings. He heard that if you're going to be a good Catholic, you need to go to Rome. And in Rome, supposedly, they had Pilate's stairs. And these were the stairs that Jesus walked upon himself in order to get to to Pilate for the judgment. And what happened is that many people, many Catholics had been taught that if they could go to these stairs and walk up the stairs on their knees and with each step pray to God that they would get the peace that they wanted and get closer with God. And so Martin Luther went and each step he walked on his knees begging God to make him right. And he walked up all those steps and he said, it didn't work. I wasn't any closer with God. Why was he doing that? He was trying to get God's attention. There was a time he became a flagellant. What's a flagellant? A flagellant is someone who believes that if they had pain and suffering, that they'll get God's attention. And so they would take a whip. And during the day, as they would pray, they would whip their back and cut it open and bleed all over. And his desire was, God, please, please, God, listen to me. I'm trying to get your attention. He's doing everything he could to get God's attention to say, God, I'm sorry. God, listen to me. And all that did was leave them empty and battered and bleeding and no closer to God than ever before. God is not desiring sacrifice, meaning that the idea is that you can't get God's attention by sacrificing. There are many people who would love to go on a great quest to go kill a dragon. Oh, if I could do something big like this, maybe then God would be pleased with me. But God is not looking for sacrifice. That's not what God is looking for. That is an outward religious thing, but it is not what God is looking for. Perhaps maybe you can hold your finger here And to back up what I'm saying, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. If you're in Psalm now, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 1. Isaiah in chapter number 1. And if you don't mind, let's see what God himself says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter number 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Notice what it says, Isaiah chapter 1. And let's start in verse 11. Good. I'll, I like people turning to the passage. I'll be patient with you. Isaiah chapter 1. So Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. So it just a few pages away from where you were at. Isaiah chapter 1. And notice with me in verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord. I am full of burnt offerings of rams, and fat of the fed beast, and delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of the lambs, or of the he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath acquired this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring me no more vain oblations." Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moon and your appointed feast my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, ye make many prayers and I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood." Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How hath a faithful city become a harlot? It is full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. God is putting an emphasis here that he says, I'm done with religious ceremonies. I'm just full of it. It just, it it makes me sick. I hate it. Do you know that there are some people that go through a lot of religious ceremonies and it makes God sick? Because the ceremonies were never meant to be the thing that pleases God. They were meant to be pictures of our need of God. You know, just because you come to church doesn't mean you're pleasing to God. Some people think they've done God a favor by them showing up on Sunday morning. You're not doing God a favor. God doesn't need you in church. Let me give you another thing God doesn't need your money. But you know what God wants? Your heart. Your heart. The thing that God is looking for is for you to look at yourself and say, I need God. I'm a sinner. There's nothing I could do to change that. There's nothing I could do to forgive my sins. God, I need you. That is exactly what God is looking for. God says in Isaiah chapter one, he says, come unto me and let's reason together. By the way, we have a reasonable hope. We do have a reasonable hope. Come, let us reason together. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, you should be white as snow, oh, you could be washed clean, which brings me to the second thing here is that the burnt offering it's rejected god 's not looking for more religious ceremony he 's not looking for religion he 's looking for a relationship. notice back in psalm fifty one and notice with me in verse seventeen so in verse sixteen it says god 's done with burnt offerings he 's done with the religious ceremonies, but what is God looking for verse seventeen Sacrifices of God or of a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. God, <laughs> oh God, thou wilt not despise. God says he doesn't want sacrifices as a substitute, he hates them. They're an abomination. What God desires is for us to come broken. God loves broken things. Well, we realize I'm a sinner, I've failed. I can't do anything to make this better. God, I need you. And he says, I'm available. That's it. For you to recognize your true condition. And you to come to God. And God will fix it. God will help. He's looking for that relationship. The word contrite here carries the idea to be crushed into powder. To be totally collapsed. God is looking for broken things. You know, some people can go through religious ceremonies, show up at a church like this, sing songs, but never be saved. And part of it is they've never been broken. They never realize how much of a sinner they truly are. And that I can't do anything to save me. I need David here is broken because of his sin. He's already had a relationship with a God. with God, But now that he's saved, he found himself because his sin has brought him far from God. He's been going through the motions. He Now he's broken of his sin. You see, he's not broken because he got caught. He's actually ashamed of what his sins did. And he's broken. Have you ever been broken? Have you ever been to the place where you look at your life and said, it's a failure. I've messed up so badly. And you go to God and say, God, if you accept me just as I am, I run to you now. God, I need you. been so broken. That is what God is looking for. And sometimes God has to do a breaking thing in order to finally get people to turn to God to finally get them to get out of their religiousness. Religion has sent more people to hell than anything else. God's not looking for religiousness. He's not looking for religious activity. He's looking for us to be right with God and then out of an obedient heart do what he's asked us to do. So again, we're not overemphasizing and say God doesn't want you to do nothing. He wants you to do something not... You see, we serve God not in order to get something from him. We serve God because of what he's already done for me. Does that make sense? There's a difference in motive. As a pastor, I don't give my life to this hoping that one day I'll have a place in heaven. I do the things that I do because I know I'm forgiven of my sins already. And I'm grateful for it. and I'm glad to do it. Someone who gives money in the offering plate and they're renting a a total in their mind, all right, I think I'm close to giving a million dollars after all these years. Surely that will get me a place. It will not get you a place. You know why you should give? Not in order for God to fix your problems. If I do this, God will give me a car. If I do this, no, I give because of what God has already done for me. He's given his best. He's given Jesus Christ because I'm thankful. I'm glad to worship him in a way that says, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And by faith, I'm also anticipating you're going to continue to take care of me. You see, it's the right motive. It's the right thing. God is not looking for more activity. He's looking for a relationship. I'm doing things because I love him. I'm doing things. I'm obedient to him because of what he's done for me. But it starts with that broken and contrite heart. It is that brokenness that we have to come to. Coming to ourself. I'm going to the place where God wants me to be. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I recognize who I truly am. It's that brokenness. God is looking for you know when someone comes to know Jesus Christ their Savior there's a lot of people who go through activity whether it's going through a catechism whether it's baptism whether it's being part of a church whether it's owning a Bible people look at different things and say this is why I'm going to heaven none of that works you know why I'm going to heaven it's because Jesus died for me and I'm a sinner And I don't deserve to go to heaven. They have to realize who they truly are. There's a brokenness that comes with it. Someone who doesn't believe that they're a sinner. They can't be saved because there's nothing to save them from. Someone who doesn't believe they deserve to go to hell. There's nothing to save them from. There's nothing for them to be delivered from. But when someone truly realizes that I deserve to go to hell. It is... A powerful idea. I deserve hell. I deserve punishment. That reality makes you come to the place of hopelessness and then you see the hope. That's Jesus Christ. It is him I need. He is the only way. I can't work my way out of it. I can't do enough good things. It is God and God alone. That brokenness when you realize that you are deserving of hell is what prompts us to look for a savior. That's when we come to know Christ as our savior, realizing who we truly are. When someone is in the midst of sin, and by the way, Christians can sin. David was a believer and he sinned. How did he get thoroughly right with God? By just throwing up a sorry? No, it was realizing I messed up. I can't cover this up. I messed up. We all know people who, who are sorry they got caught, but not sorry for what they did. There is a difference. David got right with God because he admitted that he did wrong and he believed he did wrong. Does that make sense? Anyone who's dealt with teenagers understands there's times that the teenager does not believe he did wrong whatsoever, but they're willing to tell the parent whatever to get off their back or the teacher to get off their back. There's a difference. Because when you realize that that sin is wrong and I shouldn't have done it, it will make it where I no longer want to do that sin. Someone who is sorry they got caught, you give them another excuse, they'll go to that same sin again. Does that make sense? So what we're talking about is not the outside. Anyone could put a fresh coat of paint on a rotten wood. We're not talking about the outside. And by the way, there are some professional con men who could con everyone, but you'll never con God. We're talking about a change of heart. The inside of us. That's what changes. By the way, that is the greatest evidence that the Bible is true. Is the evidence of a changed life. That if something as big as God comes to live in something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be evidence of it. And it's not manufactured evidence. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying harder. It's God changing us from the inside. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. That's the difference. It's a matter of the heart. It's not the outside activity. It's the inside heart. They have a, they have a saying in the Bible, don't cast your pearls before the swine. So can you imagine getting a pig And getting a brand new nose stud. I mean, it is a diamond studded thing. And you put it in there. Why wouldn't you put that inside of a snout of a pig? I mean, doesn't it look nice? And it look pretty how it is? What's going to happen to it? It's going to go back to the mud. It's going to go exactly where it came from. Dress up that pig. Give it a buttermilk bath. You could get a spider web that says some pig. And it doesn't change the fact that it's a pig. There needs to be a change. It's the inside of the heart that is looking for, which brings us to the third thing. We start off with the idea that the burnt offerings is rejected. It's not religious activity that God is looking for. He is not pleased by us abusing ourselves. That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for a broken and contrite heart, it's looking for a brokenness that realizes I was wrong. I messed up. I'm deserving of punishment. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my deliverer. That's what God was looking for is that brokenness. But the third thing here is the building of the walls. Notice with me in verse 18. He says, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Now David as king had a dream to fortify the city of Jerusalem and build it a place of worship but here, David is not just referring to the physical walls, but he's speaking about his own life. Hold your finger here and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 25. This is an important principle here. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, and notice with me in verse 28. And if you don't have this... Um, Verse highlighted, starred, marked. Please mark this. Proverbs 25, and notice with me, if you don't mind, the last verse in here, verse number 28. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Notice this He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, in the ancient city, walls are important. Uh, walls are not so much as important today. For example, Green Bay doesn't have walls surrounding it. But in the ancient world, walls were important because they did a couple different things. First of all, wild animals was a very big deal. Even in there are some places in Africa today that lions can walk into a village and just start tearing people apart. And that was a very real thing for animals. They had lions and bears there. They had other types of creatures. And so walls were there to protect the creatures. In addition, you also had bandits. They had roving bandits that would go around the ancient world. And that any city without a wall, they just walk in and start just mugging everyone and plundering everyone. But more importantly, they had world empires at that time and they had other kingdoms. And a city without walls was a city waiting to be taken over. And the enemy armies could easily just march right in and take over the city and destroy it, raise it, level it down. And so a city had to be protected with walls. Now that we understand the history of it, notice again what it's saying in verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit. Here we're talking about your inner man. You know there's some people that cannot control their emotions. There are some people cannot control Their thoughts. There are some people who can't control their, their, the, the feelings that they have. And the Bible says that someone who doesn't have control over their own spirit is just like a city that is broken down and without walls. You know what happens when you don't have control of your own spirit? Now again, David's at a place because he had so much sin, his, his heart was wide open. And inside of a spiritual battle, the enemy could walk right in. And the enemy likes to lie to you. It likes to fool you. Someone who has no control over its spirit, it doesn't take much for Satan to whisper in and tell a lie to you. The Bible says that we can't trust our own hearts. For example, <laughs> I'm not a lady. I could just listen to what ladies say that sometimes. But sometimes a lady could walk into a room and look and say, everybody hates me. I just go in there, everybody just hates me. Now, if that's you, you know, if you've ever been there, maybe you just relate to it. But you know, you have no evidence that people hate you. They didn't pass you a note and say, hey, by the way, everyone hates you. You know, you can't trust your own heart sometimes. Sometimes you just have a feeling. They, I'm just sure that they don't like me. What evidence do you have of that? None maybe something else. They could be concentrating on something else. Maybe they have their own problem and they're just looking at you. We had a police call once recently where a lady's walking in a park. And so she calls 911 and says, this lady over here is being mean to me. And so the police came and responded and said, what's going on? This lady over there, she's being mean to me. And so they went and said, "Uh, ma'am, do you have any problem with that? I didn't even know she was there. I was just texting and playing a game and was frustrated at it. But just because the lady was ignoring the other one, she she was convinced. And and, and we're being facetious now, but sometimes we could relate to that. Mm -hmm. That here it's talking about David has no walls. He has no control over his spirit. And the enemy walks in anytime, implants a thought fools him, lies to him, deceive him. And he's having a hard time discerning other people. Maybe even a paranoia. Those people are out to get me. They're watching me. They're following me. They're looking at me. They're not guarding their own heart. And and that's what it's like. And when you're not right with God, you are vulnerable. And so David's looking at his own heart and he's realizing it's like a city without walls. It's vulnerable. It's broken down. The enemy could come in at any time and there's no resistance. And the enemy gets victory after victory after victory. And so David, as he's getting right with God, he's recognizing that, guess what? I'm going to need these walls rebuilt. I need you to rebuild these walls. I need you to put these walls up, God. I need them. And so here we're seeing the idea that the battleground is in the heart. It's in the inner man. It's not dealing with the outside activity. Someone can, oftentimes will say, all right, fine. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do this. And they give something they're going to do. By the way, we're not putting a de-emphasis on doing things, but doing things should come out of obedience to God, not in order to make someone feel like you're right or trying to fool yourself into being right. It's the inner man that God is interested in. Is that right with God? Is that at the place where it ought to be? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time